0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. This time, we're doing a movie decided by the roll of a die, and the die roll was science fiction, and we're going to be doing the movie Dune. I'm joined by Dan Day Jr., who picked the movie. Dan, how you doing today, sir?
1: Uh, pretty good. Other than the twelve inches of snow outside my door, I'm I'm doing fine.
0: <laughs> if for listeners wondering, we're recording this in early February, and uh, so it's still winter time. This episode should be going out in March, so it'll still be winter. So hopefully, though, the snow would have left you.
1: <laughs> I live in northern Indiana, so it's going to be wintertime probably in May here. So,
0: Well, just remember, it could always be worse.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: At least you could still get out your door.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Uh, I've never seen pictures of people that had so much snow where they actually went out their windows because the door was just <laughs> snowed in and they had to you know go and dig the door out. <laughs> I We haven't gotten to that point yet, so. But, Dan, how have you, I mean, have you been doing, you know, you've been doing anything fun or interesting? I know you do a lot of stuff with Joshua Kennedy. You've, every so often, you'll do a cameo in one of his movies.
1: Oh, uh, well, um... Uh, you and I were at Monster Bash in October. I, you know, been doing regular blog posts on my uh, blog, the Hitless Wonder Movie Blog. Um, and <laughs> I know I have a boring life, but remember, that I do live in Northern Indiana. And in the winter time, you're just lucky to be able to get out the door. <laughs> so just, just you know, doing my usual, watching uh, bizarre, obscure movies on streaming services. Uh, Sengulie's on tonight. So I'll be watching Sengulie. You know which I've been doing for literally, uh, God, more than 30 years. I was watching Senghuli before, way before he was on me I remember when he was in Chicago, a lot of people don't understand that or realize that they think Senghuli is more of a recent thing. You only see him on MeTV. So yeah, and I did visit the, the legendary Joshua Kennedy and his uh, home base of Edinburgh, Texas last summer. Um, saw a little bit of filming on his upcoming movies, Mancipus and Saturnalia. And I'm apparently going to be consigned to the cutting room floor. So (laughs) that'll probably make the movies better though. So,
0: well, you never know. You could end up in a deleted scene. That's on the blue. Yeah. yeah,
1: I could could be on the extras or it could be on YouTube somewhere. So,
0: but um, I I had Reber Clark on for the whole wide world. And he was talking about, Saturday where he did the scoring for it again and um it's supposed to be coming out relatively soon.
1: Yeah, uh, Reber Clark, he's basically more a cony to uh, Josh's Sergio Leone. So that, that that he's definitely part of the whole gooey films uh experience and then that that and, and Reber's a very talented man and I think what what really helps is that he knows Josh's style, he knows what Josh is trying to get at. So it's it's really great that Josh was able to hook up with somebody like that. Just just, you know, Part of his, his growing base, his growing uh, stock company,
0: so to speak. Yeah, well, we've had Josh on many episodes of Diecast Movie Podcast. For those that are new to the show, you can go back in the archives, and there's an interview. He's done multiple movie episodes with us, and we have a second interview of Josh coming out um, later this year. You know where he's going to be talking more about those upcoming movies, which are already recorded.
1: Okay, then you can ask him why he cut me out of them. <laughs>
0: Well, the problem was it's already recorded, so I did not know you were cut out. (laughs) I'll put that that down as a follow-up question for the next time Josh is on the show. It's like, um, fan feedback. Um, This one guy named Dan, who refused to give his last (laughs) name, (laughs) from Indiana. You'll say, who? Who?" I'll I'll just say, this guy that's a hockey fan, White Sox fan from North Indiana, said, why did you cut out Dan Day Jr. from... (laughs) latest movies
1: <laughs> what well, the one fan the, the one fan who knows who that guy is That crazy guy who winds up doing cameos in joshua kennedy movies so well
0: i'll ask for it i'll ask i say come on where, where's dan you gotta have. it's not a movie it's not a, a gooey film without a Dan cameo at least put him in there at least put him in a picture on the shelf
1: uh well yeah he's done that before too so uh that, that was my appearance in the the Sherlock Holmes film.
0: Really? You were a picture on the shelf? I was just joking. But uh,
1: in, the, in the Sherlock Holmes movie, which is based on sort of like based the the empty house and the six Napoleons, the Ronald Adair, the murder victim. That's the, that, that was the, the actual murder victim in Conan Doyle's story. I'm Ronald Adair, and I'm represented by a picture on the wall. <laughs> so, yeah, if you go back and watch that, I think it's Return of Sherlock Holmes. An alpha video that that's that's my cameo i think i got like a voice cameo in there somewhere i do a lot of voice cameos for him it's a lot easier me being up in northern indiana him being down in texas so
0: i actually own that one so i'll have to watch it now and look for your picture so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that,
1: oh yeah he, that, that's that's really important to see that so uh, yeah to see the movie yeah but uh
0: anyway i'll forget the movie once we see the picture i don't even have to watch the rest of the movie it's like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but then you picked dune from 1984 and
1: yes david lynch's dune is how it's more remembered and and i know people are gonna say why in the heck did you pick that movie well one of the things is i wanted to pick something a bit different a bit off the wall you can't get much more off the wall than david lynch's Dune, but i think it also has a a connection to the present day because Denis Villeneuve, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, excuse my French, probably sound more like Inspector Clouseau, but Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which came out last October, finally, uh, which I think is actually the best version of Dune, That's I think is uh, the number one selling DVD or Blu-ray right now. So I think a lot of people are getting into Dune or at least watching it and maybe reading the novel for the very first time. I'm sure they've heard of the David Lynch version and they probably heard, oh, it's terrible, it was a bomb, it was a mess, and technically that might be true, but I think it's worth a revisit. Um, I'm not saying it's the greatest film in the world. It definitely has a lot of problems, but I I don't think it's the horrible mess that some people say it is.
0: I saw it when it came out back in 1984, so I was 15 years old. I went with my eldest brother, Rick, and he had read the books. Um, We actually had the Avalon Hill board game, Dune. We played ah. the game, you know? So I, so I knew a little bit Now I'd never read the book and I go, I went into this and I basically can say it is from what, from when Rick tells me it's, it's the reader's digest version of the book.
1: Yeah. Yes, he was yes. able to
0: flesh out stuff for me later on the drive home. He was able to say, explain the stuff that was, because you can only put so much into a movie when you're trying to transfer a book onto the screen, and oh, absolutely! Yeah, so it was but to give people an idea. What is Dune about? What, what's a what is a brief synopsis? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: how much tape you got? Um, it's basically about a young man by the name of Paul Atreides, who is technically royalty. His uh, father is a Duke Duke Leto Atreides. They come from the planet Caladan. They are a very powerful family in the known galactic universe. The Emperor is jealous of the Atreides family because the Atreides are they're basically considered good guys, so to speak. That that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But so he's jealous of them, so he puts them in charge of the planet Arrakis, which is nicknamed Dune. The planet Arrakis is the only as spice. And spice is what the guild navigators use to travel through space. So basically Frank Herbert, who wrote the novel Dune, basically spice is his version of oil, his version of petroleum or what, you know, why, you know, why it was almost his way of looking at it. Why are we messed up in the Middle East in dealing with all these other cultures? Because we have to have this product to make modern society goes So that that's kind of a, once again, my very simplistic way of explaining it. The the novel, by the way, was written in the very early 1960s because I know a lot of people are watching the new Dune or have just come to Dune or because of the movie, they're reading it out for the first time. I hear things from, Oh, it's, it's, it's like, like Star Wars. It's a lot like Lord of the Rings, like this or that. Well, remember he wrote it in the early 1960s. So in a way, I'm not saying Star I mean Star Wars in, was influenced by tons and tons of things. George, George Lucas admits that. Anybody can see that. but it, it, it is it's very different from Star Wars, and it's very different from most science fiction movies made in recent years. It's a very complicated novel. It's not an easy read. my My paperback version of it, which I bought at a discount a couple years ago, I had read it like you. I read it in high school when the when the first movie came out or David Lynch's version that came out, my paperback version runs over eight hundred pages. so and and it it's not a very simplistic book. it it there's even a glossary at the end of the book. so you know when when a book has a glossary at the end of it that yeah, it's the end of half right there but if if you are a fan of serious science fiction, it, it, it is a it i I, I love the book. I mean, it's not like something I read constantly because like I said, it's over 800 pages, but I, I love the idea and the concepts of it. And it, it's one of the greatest science fiction novels ever written. And when it comes to the David Lynch movie, and you have to remember they have been trying to make this movie, various people have been trying to make this movie for years and years. They never got around to doing it because it's just such a complicated novel, And There's just so many things that go into making that type of film. And finally, Dino Laurentiis, the legendary Italian producer, he got hold of the rights to it. And I believe his daughter suggested uh, they were watching all sorts of films to pick a director. I think Ridley Scott was involved with it at some point. And they saw The Elephant Man, which was directed by David Lynch. David Lynch, of course, directed Eraserhead before that. And they decided, you know, he's he's an interesting guy. Let, let's pick him for it. And Lynch not only directed Dune, he wrote the screenplay. So technically, when they say it's David Lynch's Dune, basically it is David Lynch's Dune. Uh, even though he didn't get final cut, which, you know, caused him to basically not have anything. In, in, to this day, he won't even, like, talk about it in interviews. So the, the big problem with this movie is that you're taking an 800 page novel and they tried to do it in a little over two hours and you just can't, for example, the, the Villeneuve dune, the 2021 dune is actually the first part of the novel. And that is longer than the David Lynch dune. So he had more time and, and he had definitely, you know, the people that made the 2021 dune, they wanted to adapt the novel correctly and they, they, they weren't interested in, Dune was released by Universal. And Universal wanted another Star Wars franchise. They they wanted, you know, something that to make money and to make toys off of and to make sequels. They didn't really... I don't even think the people that... The executives at Universal who were dealing with this movie, I don't even think they even read the novel. I don't think they really cared. All they wanted was a bunch of aliens and, you know, goofy stuff and weird stuff like that. So, they weren't interested in having a... Proper adaptation of a complicated novel. They just wanted, you know, another money-making franchise, and it and the two things didn't really gel too well together.
0: I will say, for my research, David Lynch's original screenplay was going to be like four hours, and he was hoping to do it yeah. as two movies. And then he condensed it to three hours, which was what you know for was supposed to be. And then, of course, as you said, the final editing was taken from him, and they. Condensed it even more and made him delete. Had to take some scenes out when he dropped it to three hours or to two hours, whatever. And then he had to shoot some other scenes to to explain what was going on, which is why there's a lot of voiceover narration. And it, it's just one of those things that makes you wonder what it could have been if it would have been left at the four-hour length and been two movies. Yeah, um... it would have it would have been, I think, more cohesive. Because I mean, it does cover all the stuff that happens, and it does make sense plot-wise because it goes from point to point to point. But there's no real time for the characters to develop. To for most, of, for a lot of the characters, some of them are just there to give given a name, and then next thing you know, they're exactly. gone, and or they come back later exactly. on. But there's real no, there's no character development that you would expect to see in a movie um, of this type.
1: Exactly. The, the dialogue is mostly expository dialogue. Nobody actually has a real conversation in this movie and there's no humor in the movie, which there, there's, there's really no humor in the, you know, it's not like uh, it's not like men in black. Okay. It's not that type of mainstream science fiction movie. And I, I think the one thing Bill was able to do in the 2021 dude, he was able to sort of humanize the characters, at least make them a bit more recognizable to mainstream audience where you can kind of understand where they're where they're coming from in the David Lynch dune like I said everybody has this really kind of stilted dialogue almost like the the biblical epics of the 1950s nobody has like a nobody nobody talks like that but then again one it has to be said this is a science fiction film you're dealing with a totally different universe and and one of the things I remember when it came out it just got blasted by the critics and you also have to remember that back in 1984, you didn't have geek culture. I mean, it was there It was guys like you and me reading star log and Cinefantastique and things like that. But it did, the geek culture had not taken over the mainstream like it has now, which is why the 2021 Dune, I just saw it was nominated for a whole bunch of BAFTA awards. I mean, you know, it, it's more accepted. It's, it, you know, people were, Oh man, Villeneuve's going to make Dune. And, and people were waiting for that movie because it got delayed because of the COVID and everything. It, if, if Lynch had made do now, I mean, even if he had made it the same way, I think it would have been totally, it it, it would, it would have been looked at totally differently. Probably would have made a heck of a lot more money. And the, back then you just didn't have that. I mean, the, the critics just, just mauled it. I did not see it when it first came out as a teenager. Um, I saw it when it came out on home video on videotape. And I, I understood why, you know, the, People didn't like the mainstream didn't like it, but I thought for the most part, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And over the years I've had, like I said, I don't think it's one of the greatest movies ever made, but I I do have more and more of appreciation for it, especially when you watch it in widescreen, you know, and uh, arrow video came out with a special edition of it last summer to coincide with the other Dune coming out. And there's like a lot of extras on there. There's a couple audio commentaries and they, they don't sugarcoat anything. They go into why the, you know, the movie's problems and, and why David Lynch basically doesn't want to have anything to do with it. But I think if, if you really love science fiction, if you really love fantastic cinema, it's a movie worth checking out because I think just visually it's really impressive. Um, it's got a fantastic cast of actors and almost all the actors in the David Lynch do have a sort of cult notoriety, of. Kyle McLachlan. that was his, you know, that was his first thing he ever did. Of course, now he's, you know, much more well-known. Of course, he's had a huge um, connection with David Lynch. You've got uh, Max von Sydow, Jordan Prochnow, Francesca Annis, Richard Jordan, Linda Hunt, Virginia Madsen, Jose Ferrer. I mean, there, there's a ton, of, and Sting, which is funny because it, I'm sure you remember this, there was a huge amount of hype when that movie came out. And every... Co- commercial, every trailer, every article, they always showed sting. And I'm sure a lot of people went to that movie thinking, Oh, well, well, Sting's only in it for like five minutes and he's a bad guy. They probably thought that Sting was the star of the movie, which he wasn't. But at that, at that time, the police was like the biggest band in the world. So that that's where the marketing marketing went to. And I think that kind of like pulled people off too.
0: I will say this. When I saw the commercial, like you said, I was expecting sting to be this, this huge Feature of the movie and he was yeah. in there, but he did have his charisma. He did have the snark, you know, so it, it played up to the type like you would think with a, a rock star playing that role. And, uh, yeah. So and, uh,
1: yeah. And in, in the book, the character that Sting plays, I mean, that's, that's basically, I mean, I assume he read the book. I don't know. I've, but never, he, read he, no, he I've
0: never read the book. My brother read the book. I've never read it. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. I mean, I assume, I assume Sting read the book. Oh, Okay to get the character. I'm not sure, but I mean, no, he's, he's perfect for it. I mean, the, the, the Villeneuve Dune is cast very, very well, but I I think also the David Lynch version is cast very well. There's not too many characters that are like too far off. It's like you said, the problem with so many of these characters, you don't get to see enough of them. And and because there's no real conversations between anyone, you don't really understand what these characters are, what the relationship is with Paul Atreides, who was played by Kyle MacLachlan, uh, it just comes to mind. I was talking about the cast of uh, Patrick Stewart's in the movie. That's technically, I think his first science fiction film he ever did because it, you know, I think life force came out in 1985. So technically that's like, and like, unless he did something in British television, which I'm not aware of, I think that's like his almost introduction to the science fiction universe.
0: And that's one of the things that's like, um, when I watch this film, there's only really the only time they give the, the three characters to really develop is Paul, his father, and his mother. That, really? that, that relationship yeah. and the three of them are the only ones that are given any time. And, and they're the main characters, so to speak, at least two of the three. You know, one, of course, dies off midway through the film, and uh, which is the father. I, I, I don't think we're spoiling anything for people. This thing's been out forever, and it's a book, and it just came out again. <laughs> so if we did, I'm, I'm sorry for, you know sorry for you that we spoiled a little bit, but it's, it's midway through the film. It's not like we're spoiling the ending.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so those characters do have some things to develop, but I enjoyed the, the um, special effects. I, I, and a lot of people might now you know, look at something from 1984 and say, all these special effects are so dated or whatever. I'm able to, I'm sure as you are able to put myself back into that space, like at that time frame, And I still think they hold up, for the most part, very well, except for one, one special effect I didn't care for back in 1984. Cause I didn't think it worked well then. And I still don't think it works well today. And that is the shielding that they put on when they're doing the fighting where they look like, um, block yeah. figures. It didn't work for you yeah, yeah. and it still doesn't work for but that's, that's a quibble of, of one effect compared to hundreds of effects that they have in there.
1: Well, one thing I'll say about the effects, and and the shielding does look kind of goofy, but I will say this: it it's visually different. You don't you you can't really it doesn't there's nothing. The type of movie made at that time the the David Lynch June was filmed in Mexico, and they did the effects in Mexico, and a lot of these effects were in camera or on set effects, which I love that type of stuff, which I'm sure you do. That you know, us, us monster kids get into that, and I think it holds up way much better than CGI. And the other thing about the effects, when you look at most science fiction films or fantastic films in the 1980s and 1990s, in that period, they were usually, the effects were usually done by Industrial Light Magic, ILM. And you can almost, when you watch these movies, you can almost tell, yeah, that's an ILM movie. They they put, they put did that shot or that's how that, you know, just just with the way the spaceships are lit in a certain movie, you can tell it's ILM. With Dune, you don't get that because obviously it was an ILM, it, it, it just the whole visual sense of Dune is very, very different. It's very baroque. It's very unique, and that's what I think. What I love about the movie most is, is David Lynch's visual sense. He made it look as alien and weird as possible. And what cracks me up is when people say, "Oh, that, that David Lynch dude, it's so weird." Well, that that's the whole point. It's science fiction. It it's it's not supposed to you know be look like something that you can see outside. And I think one problem with the 21st century movies, like I said, because geek culture has basically taken over, is that a lot of these movies are now so corporatized and mainstream that, you, you know, yeah, they're science fiction movies because they have aliens or, or laser bolt explosions or whatever, but they're not really science fiction. Now, I'm not trying to be pretentious or, or artsy-fartsy or anything, but it, it it I think the reason why The Daily Dune stands so well today Uh, maybe not stands out as a great film, but just stands out just to be done something different is that it, it it wasn't mainstream or corporatized, which is why Universal had such a problem with it. It it is very strange and very weird. And yes, a lot of that has to do with David Lynch, but a lot of it has to do with the, uh, the book that it is based on, which is, is not meant to be, you know, the type of, you know, Will Smith type of science fiction movie. So I think now it's a lot I think it's probably a lot easier to appreciate it now than when it first came out, because like I said, it was considered a bomb. And then like, you know, all the, all the critics just, just ripped it. And I think even the Starlog people and Bangoria and those, those magazines weren't all that happy with it either.
0: Well, when I saw it, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, but luckily I also I had, like I said, my older brother was there to explain to me on the way home Yeah, yeah. the, the background and what was, I was like, well, why did this happen? And he was able to, cause he had recently read the books, um, prior to the movie again, you know, cause he'd always been a big fan of science fiction still is. And so he was able to give me all the detail. And I think for somebody who had read the book prior to seeing the movie, they are, they're, now they're getting the visual to see all the stuff that they maybe pictured and, and from reading it and see if it matches up with their own personal imagination. And and David Lynch, regardless of what people think about him, he has a vivid imagination and he was able to bring a lot of that to the screen. So he was able to put stuff there that most people probably would never think of themselves. Yeah. Um, so that, that's always wonderful. And I think for people like my brother, he really enjoyed it because it was, it was fleshing out the vision of what he read and he already knew the background of everybody. So he just had, to, it didn't have to have it fleshed out for him in the movie where I think as somebody who did not read the book, like myself, it, it, it's a little tougher on a rewatch. Cause you're, you, it's like, they're going from beat to beat, but you don't really understand like why, like when the one doctor is going to portray them, there's this whole backstory, which is kind of given some lip service, but it's, you know, it, and they're, and they're explaining some things, but it's kind of like, it's almost like there's too many characters for the amount of time the movie has, but they have to have those characters because each one of them has an important little spot that has to play in. And it almost makes me wish that there was a way, if there would have been a way that they could have condensed a couple of characters out, but they can't, you know, it's one of those catch 22s. Yeah. I I wish wish there would have been the four hour version uh, of the movie. Like I said, to two to the two parter, which is what it seems like they're doing nowadays. So you can give the, everything a chance to breathe, to to let it to, to let you enjoy and explore the realm. And I think if David Lynch would have had that four hours, it would have been a joy to explore the world that he was creating and developing. And I think that would have been that would have been one of the pillars of science fiction. Now, whether it would have still made money or not, that yeah, remained to be seen. I mean, let's put it this way: he he better have filmed them both back at the same time so that he would have been ready to go. Otherwise. Uh, the, he never would have got the money to film the second one. So it did. Yeah. That,
1: yeah. That's yeah. For sure. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that's one. And I can understand. I mean, not, not everybody is a film geek and I can understand, you know, I'm sure in 1984 people went and saw Dune, you know, where, if they didn't know anything about it, they were just totally overwhelmed by it. I can, it trust me. There's plenty of times where I've seen it and it, it, it it's like, okay, what, what's going on here? And I've read the book. I see the movie multiple times. It, it's just, it's not an easy story to go through. And, um, later on in the 1980s, Universal actually came out with a TV version, which had like extra footage and that one, and it's not on the Arrow Blu-ray, unfortunately, but I think it's on like a DVD, another DVD version of Dune that Universal came out a few years ago. And that, that, that helps out a little bit, but it also has its own problems because we since it was for network television, they had to edit some things out. So it's it's it kind of you know that's that's what really took David Lynch off. That Universal did that. He took his name off the. Yeah, he did the whole, the whole directed by Alan Smithy, and for his writing credit, he picked the name Judas Booth. So that kind of <laughs> tells you what he thought of Universal. <laughs> that, that's one of the great writing credits of all time, Judas Booth. <laughs> And if you, if you ever do get a chance to watch that TV version, it if, if you're a Dune fan or you're interested in that, you know, David Lynch is doing it's, it's worth seeing. But like I said, that it almost has its own set of problems as well. And and there's all these rumors, there's a four hour cut somewhere. And, and the, I don't think there actually is. I mean, there might be some stuff on the cutting room floor, but it's not, you know, the, the effects or the sound wasn't finished. And, and David Lynch basically wants nothing more to do with it. So the, this dream that there's uh, a four hour cut somewhere and it's going to show up somewhere, I it, it ain't going to happen. So what, what what we have is what we have.
0: Yeah, I'm, the four hours I'm talking about is always scripted, you know. So it's just like if yeah. they, they would have shot the script, and uh, but when he went to filming, I think they'd already had him condense it down to three hours or something like that or less than that. So it'd already been truncated before he started yeah, think, filming.
1: They were worried about the time and the executives were, were seeing the cost because they, like I said, they they were doing things, you know, on set in, in camera. They were building like these huge, huge sets down in Mexico. And, and of course, any, any corporation, oh my God, the cost rising. And then they'd, they'd see the footage. And of course, the, the executives had no idea what the hell they were looking at. And they're like, oh my God, you know, we can't shut this movie down because we've got too much money into it. But... We can't just keep on, you know, pouring money into it. So that it was, it was that type of thing. And, uh, you know, what, what it could have, should have, I mean, that's, you know, you could go on and on for that. I think for the most part, it, it probably wasn't going to be like a big major success anyway, just because of the, you know, the way David Lynch put it together and, and just, just the storyline. I, I, I think the 2021 dune, I don't think it was like a huge box office success. I think it's more accepted, you know, as just a better movie, but you know, Dune is not star Wars. A lot of people can continually compare those two movies. And it is just a totally different thing. Paul Atreides is not Luke Skywalker. If anything, he's more like Anakin Skywalker. It's I was saying earlier, you know, the Atreides, they're the main characters, but are they technically good guys? If you read some of the later novels and see what Paul turns into, um, that's you know that, that's kind of a that's kind of an iffy thing there. There's a lot of ambiguity with these characters. They're not like, oh, this is a good guy, this is a bad guy, this is the comic relief sidekick. You know that that's you know that's not how these characters work. But I, once again, like I said, I think if you're interested in just serious, you know, well done science fiction, and the movie is well, yes, the movie's weird, but it's, it is. Some people actually said, well, it, it kind of looks cheap. Well, they're looking at it once again this is 1984. You, you know, it's not CGI. And, and unfortunately you have a lot of people nowadays. Well, if it isn't CGI, you know it's, you have to go beyond that.
0: And CGI does not age well, where practical effects almost always will age better. Not a hundred percent, but it's, it's, they usually yeah. age better because they're, they're practical. They're in there with the shot, with the actors. Uh, of course, like I said, effects that were done at the time that they were done cheaply are still going to be look cheaply, Later on, or if they're poor at the time, they're still going to look poor. I mean, that's that, that you know, a bad shot's not going to age better. The one thing that pro- that was a problem for me in the eighty 80- when I saw it in eighty four, and it's still a problem for me today, is the character Paul, who's the lead character, and it, it's. I think the best comp- um, comparison I can give it is the character of Ray from the recent Star Wars trilogy, And that they, everything comes. to to them easily they're able to overcome obstacles from what it's where we see on the screens easily um you know so there's no real like they're they're knocked down and they're i mean yeah his father does die but i mean he escapes but he overcomes i mean there's some hardships same thing with ray there's some hardships but for them they when they're when they're 101 mano a mano they're not being defeated. In a normal way, you know, like they're able to overcome each of these little perils or it'd be nice to see in like both those cases, if they had more of the hero's arc, more of the hero's journey, where they, 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 they get the call to action and the things take a downward turn in the second act. And in the third act, they're overcoming it. It just seems to him, it's a natural trajectory straight up. It's it's, there's no real problem for him that he cannot overcome.
1: Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I think a lot of it has to do with you know they they just they tried to put this entire novel and a very complex novel in two hours and and they didn't really give enough uh, background to Paul's story. But in, in and honesty, in the novel, you know, Paul once again, like I said, Paul is not Luke Skywalker. He's he's if you get into the novel, his mother is part of the Bene Gesserit society, which is almost like a religious, almost like a society of nuns. And it's explained in the novel and they go into it a little bit in the movie, but not enough that the Bene Gesserit have been breeding people for years and years, using all these Royal houses, like Paul belongs to the house of Atreides and they, they crisscross them. They, they marry them off this breeding program to create this super being <laughs> to rule the universe. Now, of course, that's obviously a lot to take in, but it it gives a little bit of explanation of why it's sort of like the force in a way. You know, Paul is basically, you know, he has all these powers because he's been basically bred to have these powers and his mother has been training him in the B'nai Jester way, kind of like a Jedi training a Padawan. So, but, but once again, you know, and in 1984, the movie doesn't really go into that. There's just so, so much, that they just cannot cover unless you wanted like a mini series now we haven't really talked about this yet but uh in two i think it was 2000 or 2001 the sci-fi channel actually made a mini series of dune and i used to have it on DVD. and honestly i barely remember it which doesn't say much about it um i i think the problem with the the science fiction series, i think the script was much better they were obviously able to get into a lot more things, but I think when it came to casting and, and art direction and production design, it was just kind of, you know, meh. And then um, going, going to the art direction and production design of the David Lynch dune, I, I, th- I love it, I think it, lo- it looks magnificent. The cinematographer was Freddie Francis, who of course, you know, Monster Kids will know all about. He was the cinematographer on The Elephant Man, and he and David Lynch worked several times after that. This was when Freddie Francis came back to cinematography. He got away from directing movies because he was tired of directing cheap monster movies. <laughs> so the, the, the film the film looks, I think, especially in the Arrow Blu-Wood, the film looks fantastic. I mean, it, it, they obviously spent a lot of money on it. Um, I think just the look. And the, the, the visual aspects of the film are great. And of course, some people say, well, the, the human aspect and the story aspects are missing. And, and yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I think Lynch realized I'm only going to get so much stuff in here. I might as well just go whole hog on the, on the visuals because, you know, if you took that away and you didn't have much of a the story, then you basically wouldn't have anything. So if, if you're going to make a science fiction movie, you might as well show them all the, the science fiction stuff.
0: Yeah, because he wouldn't, even if you take away the science fiction stuff, he still wouldn't have enough time to develop the characters properly. So it's it's yeah. So why have something? Why have two things be equally poor, or you can have one thing be strong, and the other thing still be poor. So he, you know, it's it's better to have at least one thing as a strength, where you're able to not lose the time that you need in in film when you have that precious amount of limited space of time, to do your project. Um, the special effects could obviously they're not going to add time to it they'll just be able to be, look better they had money to it but they won't add the time to the film
1: yeah but yeah it, um, and that's uh it'll be interesting for the because they are going to make the second part of Villeneuve's dune i think it comes out in 2023 it'll be interesting to see how that is received because like i said paul atreides is not a, a pure straight you know, naive Luke Skywalker type. He, he's actually kind of a dangerous character because of all this inbreeding to make him this, this super being he's, he, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a, a good guy. So it'll be interesting to see how they cover that in the second film and how it's received by audiences.
0: Yeah. We'll see what, we'll see how far they push it. You know, will he actually follow through with that journey or will they keep them in the, um, there's the goody two shoes. Well, will remain to be seen when, when the next, episode when the next movie comes out and a few smart, you play close to the vest and not letting anybody know until it does come out. Cause that, yeah. man, I mean, yes, it is in the book, but doesn't mean they have to stay totally faithful to what's on the printed page. And as we all know, some things do get altered and changed. And, uh, mm-hmm. cause the, you know, especially when you get companies that are putting a lot of money in you know, the suits always yeah. like to say, Oh, we can't have it in this way. Well, this is the one it, it's in the book. No, nah, we got to change it. <laughs>
1: yeah i I seem to think though with this dune they they kind of realize what they're doing they're they're not worried about you know you don't you don't see any twenty twenty one dune toys on the shelves or anything like that or or coloring books there's there's a on the Arrow Blu-ray, they have an extra about the the merchandising of the eighty-four Dune and and the stuff that they made. Like the, they they actually did make coloring books and toys and, and, and children's story. But I mean, it, it's just hilarious. It's almost like like a like a Saturday Night Live skit. Some of the things they made for this movie. And I, of course, I realized that was Universal. We got to make some money back. We got to you know. But it just showed you how little they really understood this 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 huge project that they put all this money into. And they were releasing and they, they just didn't, you know, they just thought it was just another star Wars type of thing.
0: One of the things I thought that David Lynch did really well. And it, this course comes from the book is that one of the main weapons is a weapon that utilizes sound. And I think would help them greatly in the effects is that, okay, you amplify the person sound and then you can show in the distance the explosion or the, the action but you don't have to worry about drawing like in, like in Star Wars, a laser, yeah, <laughs> going from point A to well, point B. I, I, I think And I think that's a great, great part about sound. There is no visual to sound.
1: Yeah, actually, the the, the book doesn't really go into it that much. I, I think Lynch kind of, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why he did it because it also looks different instead of just a guy pulling out a, pulling out a blaster and shooting somebody. It once again, it 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 makes the movie different and. You know, some people don't like that. Some people just want the same old, same old. And, and I think and and there are a lot of people who think that a lot of stuff in Dune, especially the whole sound thing is kind of, you know, unintentionally funny because it does kind of look funny. But if you look at it in the context of what it is, and I think that's where people don't do it or at least means, you know, the mainstream audience doesn't do it. You know, Lynch was definitely trying, he wasn't trying to make Star Wars, which Universal wanted. He was trying to do something and he went out of his way to, you know, differentiate from the the Star Wars, Star Trek type of thing. I think that's why it does hold up, or at least it looks a little bit better now than it did when it came out.
0: Oh, I agree. I think it holds up as something. I mean, it should be different. I mean, you don't want. Multiple copies of the same thing, because then it's just a copy, kind yeah. of a copy, cat of a copy, cat. and after a while, like, like
1: like like all the comic book movies nowadays.
0: <laughs> exactly, you know, it's just it's just it's just they, they start to be the same and and they blur together and because they got the formula and I and you can't argue with it because they make money. I mean, I can understand that. Yeah, but I'm I'm as the older I get, the more I'm drawn into character. You know, what are the characters Mm -hmm. are doing? What's the story doing? And eye candy, which is nice to see, and I enjoy it, you know, with the special effects or whatever, it doesn't carry me through a movie. And I remember back when I saw Independence Day when it first came out, it was the same way. I enjoyed Independence Day. I really liked it. There were only a couple real characters in it, Judd Hirsch's and um, Jeff Goldblum's, the father-son relationship, was the only one that was really, like, developed well and acted well. The rest of them... You know they played their tropes and they're they're enjoyable. I enjoyed the movie. haven't seen it since you know it's yeah a, it's just, I said, yeah uh, it's,
1: it's it's like you know going to fast food and eating you know a hamburger. It's like you know you're not going to think about it you know two weeks from now you know and unfortunately, there's way too many movies and like that nowadays and once again, I'm not trying to sound like I'm you know Mr. Pretentious or mr anti you know mainstream entertainment, but um, you, you know, the Dune, I think David Lynch's Dune, it, it, there, there's a lot of things in there that I think people can appreciate if they just, you know, look at it instead of, oh, this is, oh, why is all this weird stuff going on? And, and trust, trust me, there's a lot of goofy stuff, especially with the Harkonnens. We haven't really got into that. I, I think, I think David Lynch went a little bit overboard with the Harkonnens, um, but that, that you know that's just him, that's just his, his way. and uh, yeah I can see where somebody's you know just, oh my God, this is so ridiculous, this is so silly. But if you if you just just watch it and, and just try to kind of you know go uh, get get all the expectations out of your mind, it, it might it might be a little bit better than you think it is. And I think it's, it's a fun it's a fun thing or an interesting thing to kind of compare it if you've seen the Villeneuve Dune. And unfortunately, if you're not really familiar with the story of the novel, if you watch the David Lynch Dune, you're going to find out how the Villeneuve Dune is going to end. So maybe you should go see it. I don't know. but uh, <laughs> or, or maybe you should watch at least, you know, like the first 90 minutes of it and then turn it off. <laughs> well,
0: you, you can't have everything. And, um, you know, yeah. it, it's just, I mean, I already knew how it was going to end from watching it the first time. So it's, I, I've yet to see the new Dune. I was, I was waiting the, for the second part to come out. So that way I can just see the complete yeah yeah vision yeah. all at one time. Cause I know some movie theaters are probably when it can, the second one comes out, they're going to put the first one with it and do that special opening night double feature, you know, like yeah, That,
1: that, that would be a cool thing. I, I, I have seen the, the first Dune. I, I mean, the first part of the new Dune I've got it on Blu-ray. I, I think it's great. I think out of all the adaptations, it's the best one right, right now. I don't know what's going to happen in the second part. I don't see why the second part would be like a failure or really go off the rails. The one thing Bill New did, he was able to stick to the story, but at the same time, he was able to make the characters more relatable. The, the dialogue is definitely less clunky. You you have more of a appreciation of the relationships between the characters. And like I said, he the, the new Dune... The first part is two and a half hours long. David Lynch doing is like two hours and 10, 15, 20 minutes long. So just for the first part of the movie, he had more time than David Lynch did for the entire novel. So obviously that, that's, you know, an improvement. And the other thing Bill New did is it doesn't look, it doesn't have the CGI look that most science fiction movies. He, he very much, did, you know, I was looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff on the Blu-ray and I just assume that a lot of the sets were green screen. I mean, he built some massive sets for the first part of Dune. I think they had to film it in Europe, which, of course, most movies like that and nowadays they're not filmed in America because it's just you know too much money. But I, I definitely recommend the Villeneuve Dune, uh, the first part. I, I I think it's probably the best film I've seen this year. Of course, I haven't gone out to the theater very much. There's really much playing. It, it really interests me, but uh, but it you know I, I think the Villeneuve Dune might give a bit more uh, attention to the David Lynch Dune. Maybe people will look at it worse. Maybe, I don't know, or at least give it another try.
0: I think they'll give it another try. And I mean, you got, like we said, or you said already, you have an all-star cast. You got people that are in there and some of their roles are very small, like in a lot of all-star cast movies. Not everybody can have lots and lots of scenes. And yes, yes, as I, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if we, if he would have had that four hour time frame to do his four hour script and do it in two parts, what everything would have been like and how it would have been developed, but we'll never know. I mean, it's just the way it's going to yeah. be. It's always going to be the, the what if version. I mean, maybe somewhere out there there is the script that's the four hour version and people could read the script and see what would have probably been filmed. But even then, just because it's in the script doesn't mean he would have done that the day he was shooting, even though he wrote the screenplay, he might've, yeah, might've yeah, been I'm like, I'm not feeling like let's, let's, it's working this way. And he would have ebbed and flowed, especially being that he was the writer. He would have had, you know, he, he, he would have more of a chance to break from because he would see what's working with the actors at that time. And what's working fil- with the, the, Sets and everything else, and he might decide to have gone more deeper in one direction or less in another. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not exactly an expert on David Lynch, um, but I, I don't think he his working method is like strictly to the script. Obviously, because of his whole visual imagination and everything. I I, I do remember on the Arrow Blu-ray, they they were talking to some cast members and they're talking to people, and they they mentioned that. Every so often, he'd go on the set. He'd, he'd just come up with some inspiration. And he'd just ask, ask the actor, "Hey, do you want to do this and do that?" So, yeah, just going by what what his original script, I, I think, especially with somebody as visual as him, that you'd still not really be able to to understand exactly, you know, what it what it would have been.
0: Exactly, and uh, but so, Dan, do you recommend this movie to the average listener?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, now I'm not going to say that you're going to automatically love it or understand it or, you know, but I think just just to, to see something different, just just to see what I would consider a real science fiction film without sounding once again, too, you know, condescending. Um, I, I I just, I think for the cast alone, I mean, there's just so many people that became bigger or be, or, or became well known for other things. Um, Freddie Jones, for example, is in the movie, uh, Virginia Madsen. I think that was her first film. I, when I got her autograph at a flashback weekend in Chicago, a couple years ago, I had her sign a still of her and dudes. So, and it's, it's just, um, yes, it's weird. It's strange. It, it's, it's not, a, it's not a kid's movie. I, I have to, we, we might as well mention that too. I think maybe young teenagers, it should be okay for them, but it, you know, it's not like you can show a kid a Star Wars movie, a little kid a Star Wars movie. I don't, I, I don't think you'd want to show them Dune. You might want to wait. Yeah, you might want to wait until they're like young kids or, or mid teenagers because it, it's not. I think it, when it came out was PG thirteen, but I think technically it's probably more like a soft R. I think it probably got PG thirteen because you know how the studios are. Well, this, this movie, we want this movie to make money. Could you please give us a PG thirteen? So.
0: I think I think if it came out nowadays, it would still be a PG thirteen because there's so many things that have pushed the boundaries even more. But yeah, at the time it yeah, came out, yeah, 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 um, it would have been. It was they're a little more stricter with the guidance, um, especially because of the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and those kind of things that made them come up with PG thirteen to begin with. Uh, yeah, that was all fresh in their minds. So for for me, it's a complicated scenario. Because I think if you're a science fiction fan, you like science fiction, then I definitely recommend you should see it. You know, if you like seeing visual directors that take works and put their own stamp on it, I definitely recommend it. If you're the average person, though, I probably would not recommend it unless you read the book prior. Because you're, you're going to be wondering, like, why did certain things happen this way or that way? Unless you had somebody with you that had read the book, like my elder brother, that can explain the background stories of what's going on with the character. So you need need somebody there with you to help you navigate. And and if you had that person with you when you're watching it at home on a Blu-ray or DVD, you can pause it. Then you could ask them explain and they can give you that the background and you're ready. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready to go. Remind well, I had to wait after the movie was over cause you don't want to do that during the middle of a movie. That's, that's, yeah, that's not good. You know? And, uh, and then I was able to get it explained and I was like, okay, I understand that now understand. But even then I still enjoyed the movie. Then I had a bet. I, had, I enjoyed it better when I got the, the explanation on the car trip home and later on, you know, more of the background, um, because it wasn't that long of a car trip where he could explain everything. We, you know, this, this was, <laughs> but it is a movie you end up talking about after you've seen it. So it depends what you're looking for in a movie. If you're looking for something you're going to talk about afterwards and yeah. try to understand. Yeah. That, that, this is definitely a movie for you. If you're just a person who wants to watch a movie, you just, and you're just looking for like an Independence Day type movie where it's all eye candy and action. You don't have to think mm-hmm. much. Then this is a hard pass for you. You should not see this movie. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to be like, oh, the special effects aren't that, or this and that. You're if you're that type, stay away from this movie at all. Yeah. All cats
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. This, this isn't uh Men in Black. This isn't you know one of the. Uh, uh, one of, one of the weaker Marvel movies or that type of thing. It's, it's, and I'm not trying to say Men in Black is terrible or comic book movies are terrible. I'm just saying it, it's not, you know, it, it, it's definitely not a, a, main, you know, a totally mainstream type of film. But I, I would assume most people that are just strictly mainstream people probably don't listen to this podcast. I'm not sure, so I don't know. I, I think most of the people that would listen to this podcast probably are familiar with it or maybe have seen it, or maybe they didn't like it, or maybe they just didn't think, oh my God, it's, it's, I heard this movie was so terrible. I'd say give it a chance, you know?
0: Yeah, it's one of those things. You, you know, we, we've given you an idea, so you know your style. You, you know what type of movies you like. And if it, if what we described falls into your wheelhouse, then you should definitely give it a watch. You, you'll, you'll probably enjoy it. You know, again, we're not saying it's the, it's the greatest movie ever, or that's not saying it's the worst, but nor is it the worst movie ever. It's, it's, it's in that middle ground. And, and yeah. I think Dan and I are both in agreement. We put it over the, you know, the middle ground where we'd say it's a good movie, but we're not saying it's really good. You know, we're, just, we're just putting it over the ground that we had positive experiences. Some people might be where they had a little more of a negative experience. So it's, it's, it's right there in the middle. It's in that vague nebulous area.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's an ambitious attempt at a very complicated novel. I guess that, that's the best way to summarize it. And I think just because of the visual aspects of it, the, the actors that are in it, just the, you know, all the special effects, it, 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 it's worth seeing. So, you know, there, there's worse ways to spend like about two hours. And, and once again, even though it was a detriment to the film's story, You've got, like, the, the, the new James Bond movie was three hours long. I mean, at least this movie isn't three hours. It should have been three hours long, but it wasn't. So, you know, that just shows you the difference between today's movies, which I think are just way, way, way too long. If you're going to do something like Dune, yes, it should be long because you're dealing with, you know, an 800-page novel. But when it comes to a and this is me on my old white man uh, horse, <laughs> it comes like a James Bond movie or a Batman movie that is going to be three hours long. It's like it's like, no, no, I don't I don't care how complicated you think these plots are in these in, or these movies. No, but anyway, so.
0: my, my, my thing is, as always with stories is how long a movie should be is how long the material justifies it to be. So if you have material for a half hour movie, then it should be a half hour. Cause if you try to stretch it to an hour to an hour and a half, it's just feels elongated. This is a movie where it had four hours, five hours, six hours of material. And it was condensed yeah. into a two hour and 20 minute, whatever version you're watching length. And, and that's, and that's really the main issue of the problem is, is that, and it was, this is not David Lynch's fault. This is what he was told he had to do. Um, and, and I think if, the good part about watching this, and then when you watch the current rendition that's out with the part one and part two, you can see possibly if David Lynch would have had that four hour version or plus version, this, this new one seems like it's going to probably be a total of five hours, you know, two and a half hours, yeah. I don't know how long the second one's going to be, but let's just assume it's the same length. Um, if then you could have seen what David Lynch possibly could have done with the characters and the stuff, and it's just one of those things like your imagination role. And I think that's what Lynch would love everybody to do is let their own imaginations take these things and, and, and see what you do with it. Because once the, the work of art is out there, it's now no longer theirs, it's ours. And then each person can take their own different path with it to where they think it should, it should go. And I think it's, it's a work of art.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about David Lynch. I'm not the biggest fan of his work. I, I think sometimes it's, it's just like, uh, like Wes, An- Wes Anderson or the Coen brothers. It just seems like what I call forced quirkiness where it's just like weird stuff is going on just to be weird. But I, I, I respect him because he is the type of person that doesn't do mainstream things. And, and most of his movies, he's not trying to, you know, you, you basically have to figure it out on your own. And, and Dune is, is a lot like that. Uh, something else that just came up while you were talking, I remember this somebody I don't know if it was a critic when it first came out or on the internet. Somebody said that the David Lynch Dune is basically a two hour, 10 minute trailer for a better movie, which I thought is that's an actually great way to look at it. You know, and, and sometimes it does feel almost like a trailer because it, it, it's not a slow movie. I mean, you know this, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff in there. You're, you're not going to get, I mean, you may get bored because you don't get into the characters, but I mean, you know, if, if it's not a movie where people are just standing around talking, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff in here, and it, it does at times it does feel like like it's it's a trailer for a bigger, better film.
0: Let's put it this way: we'll call it the Reader's Digest version of the book. <laughs> <laughs> the Cliff Notes. The Cliff Notes. Yeah. Cliff notes. It's, yeah. It's, so it's it's, it there's, there's, it's there. You got the you watch it. You know the story. The story is there. It's yeah. It's just it's literally just. The, the most minimal amount you can have in order to tell the story and, um, and with no extra anything. But then I want to thank you for picking this movie. I think it was a good one. For, I mean, like I said, I haven't seen it since 84. So it was nice for me to rewatch it again. I've always been re- meaning to rewatch the whole thing, but I've always been like, ah, eh, you know, something else will come up. And I think you and I are somewhat the same. We're, we're always drawn to those new things. And there's so many movies, whether it's newer or older movies, that we haven't seen that it, yeah. it's always, it's like, like we can never watch the same movie again and still never get caught up to mm-hmm. all the movies that we want to see that are out there. And I think that's that's the beauty of of you doing your blog and our doing our doing us doing the show here, is that we can get people to see that these other things are out there, hear about them, and then maybe go seek them out. And what's yeah. your blog address again?
1: Uh, the Hitless Wonder movie blog. It's uh, DanDayJR35Blogspot.com. So, um, and actually I just wrote one today on the uh, the Shout Factory release of Hammer's Paranoiac. And, you know, it's I, ironically, we're talking about movie length. Uh, I, was, I mentioned in the blog post, Paranoiac is 80 minutes long and it's, it's the perfect a uh, running time for that, type, for that type of film. So, and uh, actually a couple of weeks ago, and this came up in my mind because I was watching the Villeneuve Dune. I wrote a blog post, what if Hammer Films had made Dune? And I put the cast list down of all the Hammer actors that would be in it. And then I realized Hammer Films wouldn't have had enough budget to make one chapter of Dune, let alone any, 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 Major part of, yeah, that, that, that would never happen. So that, that was just me kind of, you know, just going off on a goofy riff. So.
0: Well, there was talk at one time that David Lean was going to do it. And, um, they had Orson Wells at one time was going to be the Baron and yeah. um, Mike Mick Jagger was going to be the sting role. I mean, they were, there was they were dropping some names and you're, and, and you're just like, wow, that would have been something to see. Alas, it's always one of those things we'll never know. Um, yeah, down the road, but um, for the listeners in the show notes, I'll have um, a link so you can go right to Dan's blog. So that way you can read a lot of different things he has with the moves. You been have that blog has been up for how many years now?
1: Ah, uh, I think it's twenty twelve. <laughs> Not too long ago, I wrote my one thousandth blog post, which I cannot believe that I wrote so many of those things. Like one thousand, it's like good gracious!
0: Well, congratulations! But by on the way 1, that. that Excuse me? Congratulations on the four digits. The oh, well, well, thank
1: you. But in, in a way, that, that blog post kind of got me, you know, that's how Josh kind of like really got to know me in a way and then just led to so many, you know, I mean, going to Monster Bash and then meeting all these wonderful people like you and so many other people. And uh, um, one thing I would like to mention, my my dear late friend, Tim Durbin. Uh, I wish he was still around. I know you knew him. And, uh, you, you know, he, you know, it's like, just the other day, I saw the film detective is going to come out with the brain from Planet Era on Blu-ray, and I love that movie, and I, and I immediately thought of Tim Durbin. I thought, man, that would be like, you know, the type of thing me and him would be like messaging each other about, and uh, unfortunately, I can't do that anymore, so.
0: Yeah, Tim was on our show. He was on episode 24, The Sound of Horror, um, that he did with Michaela, Ben, and I. And um, it, it was a wonderful to hear him on that episode and that kind of stuff and have him with it. So he'll always be a part of our show. And it was, it was sad when he passed away, um, but it was one of those things. I was glad to get him on our show and uh, to bring that episode to us because none of us had seen it, The Sound of Horror, until we brought it up. And um, it was his wealth of knowledge of movies was was up there with the best.
1: Oh yeah, and and but but he had like it wasn't. Um he had like a real positive love for them. It wasn't, you know, Oh, this movie sucks or this movie, you know, and I can get pretty sarcastic with these things at times myself and I always try to stop myself, but he was very, you know, very positive with it. And I was, I, I was really glad I was able to take him out to monster bash a couple of times that he was able to get that experience. So.
0: Well, I was glad you were able to, cause that's how I got to meet him and then led him to the show, you know, so he was able to join us and everything. So it was, Otherwise he probably never would have been on the show and uh, I never would have had a chance to meet him. So thank you for bringing them. And thank you again for joining us on this episode.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on here.
0: And listeners join us next episode. We're going to be doing another movie decided by the roll of a die an interview, or we might be finishing off the James whale retrospective series. Cause we're down to the last few episodes of that and stay tuned because we have a new thing coming. I'm going to be doing a, um, a, a joint production with Alistair Hughes, and it's called Hammerama. So pay attention. We'll let you know more when that episode start to come out for that. Otherwise, have a good day. Bye. Hello, everybody. This is Steve again, and that's one to say. I hope you enjoyed Dan and I talking about Dune. And one of the things we mentioned many times during the episode was Dan working with Joshua Kennedy. And as people know, Joshua Kennedy has been a frequent Guest on their show. you have an upcoming interview with him on our next episode, which will be talking about some of the new work he has coming out, including Southernalia, which you're going to hear the promo for for his IndieGoGo campaign. And I highly suggest that people support this because, as always, we want to support independent creators. So the link will be in the show notes. Click it, support it. You can get a Blu-ray copy that's autographed. You can get the poster. Um, which is done by Mark Maddox. Which is when I got that level. So I begin the poster and the Blu-ray. You can even get the music with Reber Clark. There's a lot of different things you can get. So take a look at it and support them as best you can. Otherwise, everybody have a good night. Enjoy the promo.
1: It's the same old story: boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy brings to life cartoon cave girl from outer space. Her name is Saturnalia. She's a, a, a cave girl from outer space. She has laser eyes and she talks in speech bubbles and she fights crime. Just listen to me. I am telling the truth. Saturnalia, the new Joshua Kennedy film. Check out the Indiegogo for the official Blu-ray edition. Click the link in this episode's show notes.